This was indeed a powerful quake that rocked people in the middle of the night. They say they felt it last for about 30 seconds. Japan is used to extreme weather, but Typhoon Jebi is the strongest in 25 years. Naomi Osaka, she's now the first Japanese player ever, man or woman, to win a Grand Slam. Hello, welcome to Japan in Focus. I'm Eleni Soltis. Japan has lost its bid to lift a 32-year-old ban on commercial whaling. The issue was put to a vote on Friday at the International Whaling Commission meeting in Brazil. Japan argued at the meeting that populations of certain types of whale have recovered sufficiently to allow the resumption of sustainable hunting. But Japan lost by 41 votes to 27, with South American nations represented strongly in the no camp. It's been a controversial issue for a number of member states, including Australia, which won a case against Japan at the International Court of Justice in 2014. The court ruled back then that Japan's program was not for scientific purposes. But two years after that ruling, Japan resumed whaling in the Southern Ocean under a new program. Australia's delegation at this year's meeting did not include a cabinet minister. But the Assistant Minister for International Development and the Pacific, Anne Rustin, was in Brazil for a few days before the vote. Australia's Commissioner to the IWC, Nick Gales, was there to see the vote through. He says it was the hardest meeting he has ever attended. So they brought a very ambitious and very challenging proposition to the IWC. It was always unlikely to pass, but it was quite unpredictable about how Japan was going to try to negotiate it through the IWC. And in the end, it was, it was relatively straightforward. They made a very strong plea that it was time for the pro-conservation countries to um, basically give up the ground and, and uh, allow commercial whaling to resume after um, the moratorium was put in place about 30 years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, essentially in the end we've held our ground and, uh, and they failed a long way in the vote that they would have required to overturn it. So it's a good place to be in and, uh, you know, the important work is now to um, encourage Japan to, you know, continue within the IWC and, uh, and, and keep the, the Whaling Commission strong and particularly in the work it does on conservation of whales. But how confident are you that Japan will remain in the IWC? Yeah, there's a real sense that there's change happening, and, and so we just don't know. So it's, it's speculation now, but, um, you know, Japan has certainly made it clear that they are considering all options, and they made it very clear that they were bringing this, um, this bid to the IWC as a very serious opportunity um, to change, and that if we were not able to accommodate their change, uh, that, that they may take, you know, quite serious actions. What about the mere fact that Japan lost 41 votes to 27? It is a significant loss. So why pursue this issue unless it's a platform to build a case for withdrawing from the IWC? Yeah, look, it's, it is really hard to draw any conclusion other than the proposition that Japan developed. They knew that it would fail. They required a three-quarter majority to get their changes through. And they would have known that their aim to get a three-quarter majority was unachievable. So it is hard to draw any other conclusion that knowing it would fail must be feeding into some kind of narrative about the reason to depart. So we think that might be part of it, but 
until they actually make that decision, it's, it's obviously the speculation. What's the likelihood Japan won't accept the outcome and in some capacity resume commercial whaling? Well, if they remain within the IWC, they, they, they virtually have to, you know, these, these are transparent, established and sensible, you know, appropriate rules for a, an international organisation. So we've got proper decision-making processes here. So within the IWC, they have to respect the decision. They may not like it and they may argue against it, but they'll respect it. And, and Japan, you know, typically on issues like this, does respect the decision-making processes. But the decision that lies before them is, is whether or not they withdraw from the IWC as a result of this and then go into a very uncertain world where they don't have any level of authority from the IWC for their whaling operation and have to look at a whole lot of other international law uh, that, that could apply if they went whaling outside of the IWC. And that, that really is a very uncertain space for them. I'm sure they've done their homework, but uh, it would be a, a very big step for Japan, which typically follows you know, the rules-based order and international law very carefully. 27 countries still supported Japan's bid, including some landlocked countries like Mongolia. Well, why would a country like Mongolia support Japan's bid? Well, there's 89 members of the International Whaling Commission now, and you know the original number of countries that started this convention um, 70 years ago was 12. And many of the countries here come in with an interest in whale conservation or an interest in sustainable whaling, uh, at least a stated interest. Um, so there are many landlocked countries that have had no history in whaling, will never go whaling, um, and are encouraged to be here to vote in blocks. So the IWC does have a lot of members who aren't coastal states, and it's uh, been increasingly characterised by that over the last um, sort of couple of decades, really. There has been criticism leading up to the International Whaling Commission that there was no cabinet minister present on behalf of Australia. Was that a concern for you? Not at all, no. There are, there are only three countries that attended this meeting out of um, over 75 or 6 of the 89 members who attended the meeting. Only three countries sent ministers. Australia was one of them. And, you know, Minister, Senator Rustin... Um, was uh, one of the only two of those ministers who gave very clear opening statements at the start of the commission, um, very clear statements about Australia's policy position, a very strong statement, and that, that matters. It is noticed. Uh, it is noticed by um, the very senior Japanese ministers who are here, um, and, uh, and it, it, you know, it was a very important part of... Uh, of our case and uh, we were very grateful to have Senator Rustin on our delegation for the time she was here. You've been to a few of these meetings now. Just how tense and critical was this one? <laughs> yeah, perhaps too many. Um, yes, they're, they're always intense. They're always difficult. They're always very long days. But this one was probably, well, not probably, absolutely the, uh, the hardest one that I've experienced. There were, um, there were many of the you know, almost, if you like, business-as-usual difficult issues to deal with. And, and largely and, and wholly, in fact, the IWC dealt with those very well. But having this proposal from Japan was something very new. This is probably the largest policy sort of change proposed for the IWC since it established the ban, the moratorium on commercial whaling, well over 30 years ago. So it was a huge bid from Japan. And it made it a very difficult meeting because 
There was the uncertainty about what Japan was wanting. There was the uncertainty about how this proposal would go through a very tense and difficult um, uh, meeting. And, and the remaining uncertainty that we will leave this meeting with about um, what Japan will do next in the, um, in the light of the defeat of of their scheduled amendment proposal. Australia's Commissioner to the IWC, Nick Gales, there. His New Zealand counterpart is Amy Lawrenson. She says while it was a challenging meeting, there were a number of positive outcomes. Now is the time for this commission to step up its global leadership on conservation. So we've had some really good outcomes here on uh, reducing the number of uh, whales and dolphins who are caught as bycatch in active fishing gear. Uh, and to there's really practical outcomes coming out of this commission in respect of disentangling whales that are caught in abandoned or lost fishing gear. And also things like the impact of what's referred to as ocean noise and the uh, negative impact that issues like that can have on whale and dolphin populations. So there's a lot going on in the Commission that is um, in addition to this debate with Japan. What uh, what has also happened at this Commission is on Thursday in Brazil, we adopted a declaration called the Florianapolis Declaration, Florianapolis being the place where we're meeting here in Brazil, which really sets out a vision for this body to be uh, lifting its efforts in respect of conservation. So looking at the proposal put forward by Japan today, which would have seen a return or setting the commission on a pathway to return commercial whaling, was really not compatible with that vision uh, that was taken forward. There is a, an argument for that is within this commission for the sustainable use of whale and dolphin populations as a fishery resource, and uh, uh, several members do have that view and clearly express that view today here in the commission. And there is limited uh, regulation uh, of whaling, which uh, has also been adopted at this commission, which is a really important outcome. And that is uh, Aboriginal subsistence whaling. And uh, that is limited uh, catch quotas for several Indigenous communities based on need. And that was a proposal that uh, New Zealand could support. New Zealand's Commissioner to the IWC, Amy Lawrenson there. Meantime, Japan's Agriculture Minister Masaki Taniai has warned that his country will consider its options if different positions and views can't coexist at the International Whaling Commission. Japan will be pressed to undertake a fundamental reassessment of its position as a member of the IWC. Atsushi Ishii is an associate professor at the Centre for Northeast Asian Studies at Tohoku University in Japan. He says he's not surprised by the outcome. Totally anticipated. <laughs> and I, I, I think the Japanese government did not at all expect any adoption of their proposal. And um, basically their, their proposal is kind of a show-off or a stunt for the Japanese politicians who wants to take a strong position against um, anti-wedding countries. So was this uh, for Japan domestically to appear strong on the issue? Yes, that's right. Exclusively, yes. Um, only domestic politics. Especially um, now there's a, a law on the so-called scientific wedding now, um, and it stipulates that an Antarctic scientific wedding is, is to be done to lift the moratorium. And so... Um, in a sense, this law mandates the Japanese government to do something about uh, to lift the moratorium. But the Japanese government, especially the fisheries agency, already knows that's not possible. So um, they 
they have to show off that they they are trying to, but um, it's it's totally business as usual in the IWC uh, theater. Yeah. Mm. So, what do you think about Japan's proposal? Can commercial whaling really be sustainable? Well, uh, with with very strict monitoring and enforcement, maybe yes. And monitoring includes international observers on the whaling ship. Uh, also includes DNA registration of the whale meat, and of course, uh, on port inspection on the whale meat and and uh, VMS is the, this uh, vessel monitoring system. You, you track the whaling ships through through GPS signals. Um, so if if all those monitoring and enforcement are are really implemented, yes, may be possible. But that's the only way you see it being sustainable. But do you support commercial whaling? Myself, I uh, know. But as a scientist, I I don't support any particular policy position. But of course. For for me, so so accountability is very important. So the, the, the Japanese government promises the Japanese people to lift the moratorium. Um, so to be accountable, they must really do that. Um, but they are not really trying try, trying really hard. How many people consume whaling meat in Japan these days? I don't know the exact number, but uh, the average annual whale meat consumption per person is less than a chicken egg. Less than a chicken egg? Less than a chicken egg. So um, really hand, um, only a very few people <laughs> eat whale meat. So do you think the industry is viable? I don't think so. That That's why the wedding industry needs this subsidy for scientific wedding. Professor Ishii, I'm curious to know, how has Australia and New Zealand been portrayed in Japan over the whole whaling debate? Well, usually Australia and New Zealand are uh, portrayed as enemy number one for Japan, as an extreme, very extreme um, anti-whaling nation, um, objecting any any whaling. But in these negotiations, you can see that now the anti-whaling nation core, core members are shifted to the South American countries. Tohoku University's Atsushi Ishii there. And that's all for Japan in Focus for this week. Ciao, matane. See you next time. <laughs>